Now, a few months ago, I um, came along and preached on an earlier, chap- an earlier passage in Luke chapter 10, the sending out of the 72, and inadvertently invited myself back to, um, to finish off that kind of two-part thing, because last time I came, we had seven Ps. Anybody remember that? Um, don't worry if you, if you don't, because I had to go back and look them up, and I preached the sermon. So uh, if you don't remember them, or, well, all of them anyway, I'll remind you of what they were. The 72 were sent out by Jesus, 72 disciples, um, to prepare the way. That's what they were doing, going into the towns and um, through the villages before Jesus arrived, proclaiming peace. Those were a couple of other peas that came later on, but they go to prepare the way for Jesus. They go in pairs. Do you remember that? So they're a team together, um, not going alone as we're sent out into the world as the church together um, with others to go and share God's good news with a priority. Do you remember their priority was prayer? It was the first thing that they were to do. As they went, they were to pray and pray that, well, I suppose that people would welcome the good news of Jesus' kingdom. And then it would be dangerous. Um, but we had a Welsh word for that, perigal or perig. And then somebody reminded me of, of an English word, the word peril. There's another P. So it would be dangerous as they went out, preparing the way, praying as they went in pairs, but God would provide for them. And as he provided for them, they would go and trust him and they would preach. That was their job, to pray and to preach peace and power. So there are seven Ps altogether. In fact, there's a few extra bonus ones in there. But I thought I would give you three more today to finish off and make it around 10. Um, We're going to have a look at and see that we have a place with God, that the place is all about a person and that that's a wonderful privilege. So 10 Ps that are all about being sent out on Jesus' mission um, and knowing where we belong and who it is that's sending us out. Here we go. After that interlude, um, we'll look back at chapter 10. Can I read it to you again? I often find with shorter readings that by the time I've concentrated, um, half of it's mostly gone. So I wanted to read it to you again and see if you can see what this is all about. We've got three Ps, but really there's one big subject. It's from Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Okay, let's pray and ask God's help, and then we'll dive into that together. Lord God, we thank you so much that you've given us a rock of solid joy to stand on. Thank you, Lord, that that is, um, is how you send us out. Not wondering whether we really belong with you, not um, trying hard to see if we can 
uh, earn a place with you, but Lord, we thank you that you send us out with joy, with real security, um, that we might return to you with things to show for our labours that would bring joy to your heart. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this joy. We thank you that it's your joy that we share in, and we pray that you would open it to us this morning. As we read your word, Lord, as we unpack it together, as you apply it to our hearts, we pray that your word would be our guide, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be the one amongst us teaching us, and that in all things your glory would be our supreme concern. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, it was all about joy, wasn't it? Did you see that? Four or five times in the passage, the word joy is mentioned. Jesus is full of joy. The disciples are full of joy. I wonder what you enjoy. Maybe it's bacon, that kind of thing we've been talking about already. But what kind of other things bring you joy in your heart? Maybe it's the kind of things that you have planned for a Sunday. Maybe you enjoy seeing people. Um, whether it's your family or your church family or friends, maybe people are the things that bring you joy. Or maybe it's eating. Maybe you have a feast planned for Sunday lunch or some treats planned for half term. Or that's the kind of thing that you look forward to, the takeaway on Friday night and food is the thing that brings you joy. Or maybe it's, I don't know what it could be, nature, looking out at God's world, going for a walk this afternoon if the weather uh, is kinder to us than it has been this morning. And just looking across at the autumnal scene and enjoying the world that God has given to us. Maybe it's that kind of thing. But I want to warn us this morning that if that's where our ultimate joy is in things in this world that God has given to us to enjoy, but if that's the highest thing that we enjoy, um, it's always going to be at risk. That people, people come and go in our lives or lockdowns come and we can't see the people that we'd really like to see. That taste and smell and bodily functions fade. Maybe you've got COVID and you know what that's been like to lose your taste or your smell. And so we can't enjoy food as much as we used to. Or maybe nature stops us from going out. It rains this afternoon or it snows or it gets dark and you're out and up, out to school in the morning or work in the dark and then you come back home and it's pretty much dark already and you can't enjoy nature as we used to in the summer and the spring. You see, if joy is rooted in those kind of things, then they our joy can be temporary because those things are temporary. People and nature and health. Those are the kind of things that can steal joy or enjoyment away. But Jesus today is talking to us about a much more solid, a much more dependable, reliable kind of joy. Did you see that in the passage? Let's work our way through it and see. The first of all, you get bubbly, frothy joy that the disciples have. And it's real good joy, but it's based on circumstances, isn't it? Um, this is what makes them rejoice. It's success. The success of their mission. That was back in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I wonder if you return with joy each Sunday when you've been sent out, kind of commissioned, blessed at the end of a service to go and be God's missionaries, to be his disciples, to be his ambassadors, as we were talking about last time. We're sent out like those 72 in pairs with his provision um, to pray, to preach in our own way, to gossip the gospel. So I wonder as you do that week by week, how do you return? Do you return with joy? Or maybe not. Maybe you return with guilt Sunday by Sunday, knowing what you should have done, but just not really having done it. Missed opportunities and just feeling like you've got your head down, like you're you're guilty and feel a little bit ashamed that you haven't done all that he's called you to do. Or maybe you return with fear. You did try it out. Since I was here last time or week by week, you've been trying to share the gospel with your neighbours, trying to do good to them, 
to share the good news of Jesus' power and his peace. And yet it's quite a scary thing to do that, isn't it? To stand up, to make yourself known as a Christian, to start an awkward conversation with somebody, to challenge them or ask them hard and deep questions. It can be a scary thing. And so perhaps we return Sunday by Sunday, not with joy, but with fear because you're scared that somebody's going to ask you to go and do it again. And it's a scary thing to, um, to be an ambassador. Or maybe you return with duty. You feel a sense of duty, so you tick the box, you manage to do it. Quota filled, um, job done for this week, ticked it off, and now you're ready to move on to the next lesson, the next activity. But these disciples return with joy because they've done what their master called them to do and they've had success. It's gone wonder- like amazingly well, better than I've ever seen I don't know, any of my sermons or ministry go, these people see Satan falling from heaven. Or at least they see the effects of that. That's what Jesus sees. They see Satan and demons. Jesus calls them scorpions. And um, um, scorpions and serpents, that's a picture of what they are. Jesus says, they didn't hurt you and they won't hurt you. As in, not in any ultimate way. They've enjoyed wonderful success of seeing Jesus' power as demons were cast out, as people were healed, as people were restored and forgiven and brought back home, brought to life again, perhaps. They've seen Jesus' power and the wonderful peace that that brings as people had peace in their physical bodies, as they had peace in their stomachs because they were filled, as they had peace in their relationships as people were reconciled. That's the kind of thing that Jesus' good news does. The kingdom brings power, power to heal and forgive and peace when we are healed and forgiven and brought back to life. And they've seen the wonderful effects of that. But Jesus says to them, there's something even better. There's a joy that's even deeper than success in ministry, than seeing the power and peace of the gospel. Do you know what it is? Jesus isn't trying to pour cold water on their joy. He's actually trying to stoke it up. Did you hear that? Did you see that as he went through? Jesus says, nevertheless, verse 20, don't rejoice in this. Let me give you something even greater to rejoice in, that the spirits are subject to you. Don't just rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Did you see rejoice, Jesus says, that you have a place. There's our first P if you're keeping count. Rejoice that you have a place with heaven, that your names are written in heaven. Have you ever been to a wedding and been to, invited to the wedding reception afterwards and you sat down at your place around the table with your place name written in beautiful calligraphy on a little piece of card. We went to one recently where our names were um, carved into little pieces of slate that they kind of hung on key rings. We've still got them hanging up in our, in our bedroom. Jesus has written your name on a place name in heaven. Above the gates, if you like, of heaven are written all the names of people, the people who belong there. I wonder if your name is written there. If you're trusting in Jesus, it really is. It's written there, not because you did anything wonderful, but because Jesus has done something wonderful. Because at the cross, he took all of our sin, made us smell beautiful and look wonderful, took all of our rottenness, took it away, and wrote our names in the Lamb's Book of Life, wrote our names on the place names of heaven, etched our names into the marble gates of his heavenly city. That's where you belong. You have a place. Jesus says to these disciples, rejoice in that. Do you know why it's good news that we can rejoice in that? Because that's an indestructible joy. Because if your name is written by Jesus' hand on heaven's gates, on heaven's um, table, 
I mean, who can take your name away from there? He's the highest authority in heaven and on earth, isn't he? So who can say, oh, no, no, sorry, Jesus, they don't belong here anymore. No, if he says you're welcome and that you belong, if your name is written by his hand, on his book, on his heart, at his table, then that's where you belong, indestructibly, inescapably. If you've trusted in him, if he's wrapped his arms around you, then that's where you belong. You have a place, an indestructible joy that no circumstance can take away. Do you see why it's so much better than just having our ultimate joys in food or family or nature or whatever it is? It means that no change of circumstance can ever mess with that. No sin that we ever do could ever pull you away from that. No thing that you're ever, I don't know, any good thing that you ever do could ever bump you up a place on Jesus's table. No, your name's written there. No suffering. No, nothing that we experience in this world can separate us from the love of God. It means it's an indestructible joy that belongs to us. It also means that it's for everyone. There's real beautiful equality in this joy because it's not just for those who can do marvelous, wonderful works like these people. Um, did you hear that? Their joy is based on everything that they can do. So if our joy has, to, joy has to be based on that as well, it means it doesn't really belong to us. Unless we are able to be super elite missionaries, you know, going to far off lands, casting out demons, preaching wonderful sermons, seeing revival. That's the kind of thing that these people saw. And if our joy is based on that, then it means it's not really for everyone, isn't it? Because I haven't seen stuff like this and I'm a minister. I don't know, have you? Not many of us are missionaries. Or not many of us have seen these kind of things happen, but no, Jesus says your joy isn't to be rooted in that. It's to be rooted in what I have done. Don't rejoice in what you can do. Rejoice in what I've done for you. And so who are you? Maybe you're somebody who really struggles with chronic illness and all you feel all day is pain and struggle and the frustration of that. And you feel like you want to go and knock on your neighbor's door and every neighbor's door and you want to do wonderful things for Jesus. You've got plans in your mind for things you could do, but your body holds you back. Or maybe you know young mothers who are pinned to the sofa for hours at a time feeding and then pinned to their beds at night for hours at a time feeding and then pinned in the home, exhausted for the rest of the time because they've been feeding and changing and, and they've got wonderful plans and things they'd love to do for the Lord, but circumstances at the moment mean they can't do that. And yet this joy can still belong to them, just as it can belong to somebody who's tied to a hospital, to hospital bed, to somebody who can seemingly do very little for the Lord. Jesus says, this joy belongs to you. It's not just for Hudson Taylor and for the wonderful missionaries of the 72. It's not just for Billy Graham or your church minister. It's not just for people who can do things for me. The greatest joy is reserved for everybody. So don't rejoice in what you can do. Rejoice in what he's done for you. It means this joy is invincible, indestructible. It's also for everyone. And then the third thing, it means this is for now. It's not just that we have a place in heaven when we die, but it's for now. Did you see what Jesus says? Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Isn't they are, not they will be written in heaven. If you carry on and keep doing what you're doing and go back and get rid of some more demons and heal some more people. He doesn't say if at all, does he? He says right now, your names are written in heaven. And think of where these people were in their discipleship journey. They were pretty early on, weren't they? They'd perhaps been with Jesus for a few weeks or a few months, at most a couple of years. 
Most of them will have quite long lives left to live of service to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't say, at the end of your lives, when you finish it all, then you'll know your names are written or then you'll find out. So you better keep on going. He doesn't say that at all. Right at the very beginning, when they've barely even begun, he says, rejoice, because your names are already written in heaven. And that's the same for us. The same certainty of joy, a certainty of a place where we belong, belongs to us right now at the beginning, right now in the middle, before we've reached the end of our journey in this world. That joy belongs to us. That place belongs to us. There's plenty of other verses in the New Testament. I think Nigel quoted one as he was praying. Do you remember in Romans? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I missed the word out. It says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not just when you get to the end and prove yourself that you've kind of been clean in your life and got yourself out of the pigsty, you know, cleaned yourself off and made yourself smell better. No, right now, because of what he has done, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus right now. So if you've come along this morning feeling guilty, no condemnation. If you've come along feeling fearful, thinking, will he really accept me considering all I've done and failed to do? Right now, no condemnation for you, for those who are in Christ Jesus. No need to fear. Your place is solid. That can bring us joy, great joy. Um, I remember being at university, um, not as a student, but as a staff worker, working with students and seeing the joy that they had in, in Christians coming to know Jesus. We had a wonderful event one, um, one year with a Bosnian former mafia boss who had come to, come to Christ, and he came along and gave his testimony, shared the gospel, and asked people if they wanted to become Christians as well that night. And one girl did. Um, she'd, she'd been the friend of some girls in the CU for a good long while. They'd been praying and praying and praying for her. And she became a Christian that night. She came to faith, gave her life to Jesus. And then she went home, and we packed up the tables and the chairs. And her friends, I, the picture of it is etched into my memory. Their, her friends were dancing in the aisles. They were full of joy. Or I preached in Clarbiston Road um, a few months ago, and I heard the story after the service of an 80-year-old man in the congregation. He'd been there nodding along, kind of listening well to the sermon. He was 80 years old, and he'd just come to faith a few months earlier. He had a brother who'd lived in Canada for about 60 years, who became a Christian when he was a teenager. And through their whole lives, this brother in Canada who was a Christian had been praying for his brother who lived in Pembrokeshire. And he came to faith in his 80s, 60-odd years, after his brother had started praying for him. And you know what he did? He flew across the Atlantic um, to visit, to say hello and rejoice with his brother. It's an amazing thing when people come to faith. It's an amazing thing when we see Jesus at work bringing peace and power into the lives of others. But you know what's even more amazing? Is knowing that you have a place in heaven, written, etched in Christ's own hands at his table, a place that belongs to you, that should give us indestructible joy that passes all understanding, that goes through and underneath every circumstance, however rotten and dark it might be, because we have a place. We have a real solid foundation. But the place is not just about the stuff we can do there, or even that we belong there. It's about the person who lives there. That's the next thing. But I wanted to ask you for a moment, before we get on to seeing who's there, um, do you have that joy? Perhaps you, perhaps you don't. So what could we do to take hold of it? Well, the first thing you need to do is to come to the Lord Jesus. We've kind of been assuming that, haven't we? 
that if you're a Christian, I've been saying, then this joy belongs to you. So how do you become a Christian? Well, I like to think about it a bit like the marriage service. You might have heard me say this before. But in a marriage service, or the Anglican marriage service anyway, the man and the woman will turn to each other at one point and say, all that I have, I give to you. And all that I am, I share with you. And they say that to each other. And that's what we say to Jesus when we come to know him. That's how you get this joy. That's how you have your name written there. You say to him, all that I have, I share with you. And that all that I am, I give to you. As in all of our sin, all of our rottenness, all of our smelly spiritual pigness, we give it to Jesus. And he gladly takes it. And do you know what he says to us in return? He says, all that I have, I give to you. And all that I am, I share with you. And what does he have? He has his relationship with his father. He has his place, not just at a table in heaven, but at the top table, at the right hand of the father. He gives us that place. So did you realize that, that your name is not just written on any old place name at some distant table of, of heaven's banquet? That you are, because you are Christ's bride, if you're a Christian, you have a place at the top table, next to him, in his presence, not far away, kind of at a distance, only just made it in. You have a place at the top table because you are part of his bride. So if you've never done that before, well, can I encourage you to do that today? To come and and give him everything you are. I know it's a bad deal for Jesus, but it's a wonderful deal for us. We give him everything rotten and he gives us everything good in return, welcomes us home. But maybe we don't feel that joy. Maybe you are a Christian. You did that many moons ago. You've given yourself and all that you are to Jesus. But maybe you don't feel that joy. Well, what could you do? I encourage you to share stories. Share your story of how you came to know Jesus. Share a story of what he's done in your life, just with another Christian this week. Encourage them. Maybe you could ask each other to start the conversation. What has God been teaching you recently? Simple enough question. You could ask it over coffee downstairs. What has God been teaching you recently? I imagine that would fill us with joy as we get to share that and as we get to hear each other's stories. Maybe you could do that with somebody who's not a Christian too. Just share something God has done for you or share a little story about Jesus that you love. And I often find it's as I'm sharing the good news of Jesus with people who don't know him, that it seems to become all the more real, all the more tangible. Some of my moments of greatest joy have been sharing Jesus with others. Or maybe one last tip is to change your routine. Maybe you're feeling a bit flat and lacking in joy, not just because of the lockdown and because it's all kind of sucked the energy out of us, but just because you need to change your routine. Maybe you listen to the same preachers online over and over again. Maybe you read the same kind of books. Maybe you speak to the same kind of um, people about the same kind of things. Well, can I encourage you to change your routine? Find some different preachers and find some different books. Visit another church at some point if you have time on holiday or something and meet other Christians from different um, traditions, different kinds of people and see how they love the Lord. That might reawaken your joy as you change up your routine a little bit. Well, maybe the last thing we could do, maybe it's an obvious one, is to pray and pray that the Lord would help us to feel, feel that joy. I know a man who's gone to be with the Lord now. Um, His name was Graham. Um, He was the engineer on the Logos uh, OM ships, if you know what those were. Um, He was an old man when I got to know him and a man who was full of emotion. Uh, Every prayer meeting, pretty much, he would stand up and pray and he'd barely be able to get a few sentences in before he just broke down crying. Or you could share something about Jesus with him or about whatever we were doing in our work with students and he wouldn't be able to make it through the conversation without welling up with tears. But he hadn't always been like that. He told us the story at one point of how he used to be a very grumpy old man 
And he recognised that, he was convicted by it, that he was getting cold, spiritually cold, and grumpy, and frustrated with everything around him. But he didn't just say, oh well, it's my time in life, you know, that's what I am now, I suppose I'm a grumpy old man. He took that to the Lord and asked the Lord to change his heart and help him to be more sensitive and to feel things. And the Lord answered his prayer unbelievably so that, like I said, whenever you shared anything with him, whenever he started to pray, he couldn't hold it in. The joy of the Lord was so deep, had changed him from being a grumpy old man to being a, um, a man who was really sweet and full of joy. So that's what we need to do. We've been made by God, given emotions by him. So let's ask him to stoke them up to put a few more logs on the fire of our joy. And we can do that by remembering our places in heaven. And also, second thing, by remembering who's there in the first place. You see, the joy, the greatest joy of it all is what Jesus prays about. This is his joy and should be ours too. Have a look in verse 21. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. What do they see? They see the Father through Jesus the Son by the joy-giving Holy Spirit. Did you see that? That's what Jesus rejoices in. Not just that there's a place called heaven or that there will be people there, but that his heavenly father will be there welcoming his people home in the joy of the spirit to be the bride of his son. Did you see that? The most important thing about the place that we have is who else is going to be there? That our father in heaven, that God himself will be there, that he will be your God and we will be his people, seeing him face to face forever. It's wonderful that we have a place marked out for us in heaven. But even greater than that is the person who will be there. That this faith that we have is a personal thing. It's about not just knowing stuff, but knowing someone. If you know a bit of Welsh or French, you'll know there's two words for knowing. In English, there's only one. But in Welsh, there's two words. One is adnabod and one is gubod. Gubod is about knowing facts and stuff and things. Adnabod is about knowing a person. I can't remember what it is in French, but you can look it up later. Um, it's, there's an equivalent in French where you know stuff, and oh, I think it's savoir and another one. I can't remember which is which, but you can look it up later. One is about knowing stuff. One is about knowing a person. And this is Adnabod. That's what the Father says is the greatest privilege, which is our third P, is that, that we know a person, a heavenly Father, through Jesus the Son, by the work of his Holy Spirit. That's what we're all looking forward to, I hope knowing our heavenly father. Let me read you a verse from 2 Peter. Peter, one of those disciples who was sitting there at Jesus' feet when he said these things, wrote these words later on in 2 Peter chapter 1. said, Jesus' divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us everything we need through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. It's about knowing him, his glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and great promises. But promises about what? Now listen to this. So that through them, God's power and his promises, through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Have you ever read that in scripture before or thought a little bit about that? 
that the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, invite you to become partakers of their nature. One God in three persons, and yet all these persons of humanity added into the fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to become partakers of the divine nature. Do you see, I don't think we can really get to the bottom of what that means. It's something beautiful and something mind-blowing, something that should deepen that rock of joy a thousand miles deep. So you recognise you're not just going to be there with God, but in some way you'll be partaking of his, his being, his love that's between the Father and Son, by the Spirit from before the world began. We get to share in that. If you can explain that to me or exactly how that works or what it means, well, please do, because that is something. Can you just get a taste of that and think of how beautiful that will be? That in heaven, where your place is set, where you belong, you will become part, as Jesus' bride, part of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in some mysterious way. It's not that we become gods, but also in a way it sort of is. The Eastern Orthodox Church have a much more kind of fully developed doctrine of this, so maybe we can talk about that later. It's not that we become kind of on a par with our Heavenly Father or something strange like the JWs believe that we kind of become super divine beings or something like that. They think it's something about relationship and the, and the love that there is between Father, Son and Spirit, that we're drawn so deeply into, into that. Um, it's as if we are partakers of the divine nature in some way. Anyway, that's something for us to take home and chew on and keep on rejoicing in as we go. Jesus says this is all about a person, personally knowing God, our Heavenly Father, and knowing the joy of the Spirit as we come to know him through the Son. And then he says, finally, this is a wonderful privilege. Turning to his disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. And what is it that they see? They see Jesus. And they see that you come to the Father through Jesus, the Son. They see that if you ever want to pray, you pray to Jesus, to his Father, through Jesus, by his Spirit. They see that if you want joy, you need to come and know the Holy Spirit, who's given to you by the Lord Jesus, as a gift from his Father. They see that everything comes from him and goes back to him. They see that life is all about knowing God and having joy in him. And Jesus says in verse 20, 24, what a wonderful privilege you have that you get to see that face to face to face because plenty of other people have had hints of it in the past. I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and didn't see it, to hear what you hear and didn't hear it. So think back to David, a great prophet and songwriter. So many hints and pictures that he caught glimpses of Jesus. You could read Psalm 22 or Psalm 51 or pretty much any of the Psalms of David, or go back and see. He was promised a son who would sit on his throne forever. And perhaps when Solomon was born, there was a little hint of, oh, will it be him? But it wasn't him. And then it wasn't the next one or the next one. But eventually, what David saw as a glimpse, a king who would sit on his throne, these people saw face to face. They saw Jesus. Or think of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah sees God's promised suffering servant, the one whose glory fills the temple, the one who would th throw Satan down, chapter 14, you can read about that, and that's what Jesus is picking up, chapter 14 of Isaiah, Satan thrown down, he sees the glorious servant, but who's also going to suffer and be crushed for our, um, our iniquities and pierced for our transgressions, but he didn't ever see Jesus, 
But these disciples did. And some of them even saw him being pierced for our transgressions. They even saw his glory on the mountain of transfiguration. Isaiah and David, even Eve back in the day, do you remember Eve? Gives birth to a baby boy and says, might it be him? Go back and see. She says, I've brought forth, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. But in Hebrew, it could just be, I have brought forth the Lord, a man. Depends how you translate it. You see, she's almost anticipating something divine coming from her own body. She's looking forward to, to somebody who would come to fix everything. But soon her sons disappoint her and bring even more wreckage into the world than there was before. And she's disappointed, but as a prophet, she's looked forward to what these people saw, Jesus, face to face, the son of the woman, the king, the son of David in his line, the one who would be the suffering servant. They got to see him face to face. And then Jesus gives us his spirit and says, that's even better than seeing me face to face. Even better than seeing the cross with your own eyes. Even better than sitting down and having a meal with me with fish and bread um, baked on that resurrection morning. Even better than seeing me heal people is that you have the Holy Spirit of joy who helps you know the Father and gives you the power to do what I do and peace that passes understanding. Do you see that amazing privilege that we have? That was our third P. Amazing privilege that we have. They saw, these Old Testament characters saw a little picture. Even the disciples, they saw him face to face, but they didn't see what we see. A church that spans around the world, gifted with his Holy Spirit, led by the Lord Jesus, our living head, for the glory of God the Father. Do you see how wonderful it is? So if you're here this morning, full of guilt, remember your place is set by a saviour who's died for you. And through his blood, through his work, and all that he's done for you, he's written your place next to his Father in heaven. What a privilege that is to know that and to take that news. If you feel afraid, remember who he is, authority above every authority, the one who's cast Satan down, the one who gives you power and peace to go and share it with others. If you feel like you've just ticked off your duty for the week, and here you are filling in another box, another Sunday, one more closest, kind of closer home to home, closer to filling up my obligations to God. If that's how you feel this morning, a bit dry, like you're full of duty, well, can we pray together now? We pray together for joy, for this deep rock of joy, knowing where we belong, knowing who we belong with, knowing what a deep privilege that is to belong with him.